0: Welcome to Fishing Without Bait. Whether you've got here by accident, by mistake, or just hatched or appeared, here you are. Welcome aboard. Fishing Without Bait offers a lifetime without definitive expectations of ourselves or anyone else. And what we help people do is to create their lives rather than define themselves. We try to get on the other side of fear. As our friend George Adair said, everything that we want in life is on the other side of fear. There's no admission price, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. And if you have a few pixie dust sprinkles of each one of those, welcome aboard. Jump on the ship, grab a paddle, and and let's go. Let the adventure begin. And as for listeners of our podcast, you know that we offer an eclectic roster of guests. And we're joined tonight by a friend of mine who recently came into my life, Uh Miss, uh, Miss Thalia. So Thalia, what is good about being you?
1: Well, Jim, I have to say the older I get, the more good things I see about being myself. So anybody who longs for their youthful days, I, I think maybe they're missing something because um, as fun as it was, um, getting older really provides so much more confidence in being the person that you were brought here to be and feeling like that's your main job so it's like a wonderful narrowing of focus into being that person that only
0: you can be well uh, we often talk about it's our past that propels us to our future and that we are all products of our past we can choose whether how to interpret that so landing where you are right now in this period of time uh looking back, I see that you've had a lot of varying experiences that led you along and devoted yourself to this path. Uh, an archaeologist, an educator, uh, I was particularly interested and delighted to find out that you were a medical writer. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, Thelia and how she got to this place in her life? I've always been
1: a creature of impulse. I've always followed my uh, interests and impulse and intuition, and as I go through life, those change like dramatically, I would say. So from early on, I loved archaeology, I loved history, and all the current advice was there's no way to be an archaeologist, there's no jobs, like don't bother, but I'd studied it. I got my PhD in archaeology because I loved it. Um, And then actually there were no jobs, (laughs) that part (laughs) was true. (laughs) So I went into medical writing because archeology span is a science and I had a background in science writing. And I worked for 20 years as a freelancer, um, writing about like brand new uh, data coming out of clinical trials, uh, as well as some more patient centered materials, but mostly it was hard clinical data. So I got a, yeah, I got a real view of the inner workings of the pharmaceutical industry and um, how Western medicine uh, develops.
0: So when we're talking about Western allopathic medicine, we're talking about treating uh, symptoms and we're generally talking about treating symptoms through medication. Uh, So how did you get involved in doing that type of writing and what was the market for it, Thalia?
1: There's a huge market for that and it's, it pays very well and it offers complete freedom. So it was a great job. And the other thing it offered was, um, infinite variety. So at any given day I'd be working on a completely different medical field or indication or area. So it was fascinating. It was a whole medical education. And I want to put a plug in for Western medicine here. I, I practice Eastern medicine, but Western medicine is unparalleled when it comes to diagnosis. Imaging, uh, sophisticated techniques for seeing inside the body, we can all use that information, even if maybe pharmaceuticals are not the way we would treat whatever the imbalance is. Those diagnostic tools are are really a gift.
0: Absolutely. So a lot of times, Stelia, what I suggest to people is that I'm as open-minded and as flexible as possible. But at times, when people need some type of a medication, what I tell them is, is what I do enhances that, and we're always looking for adjunct type of therapies and something that perhaps can lead a person in another direction. Uh, so I'm really interested in this medical writing. Uh, how does one get involved in that? For anyone out there who may be interested,
1: yeah, there's there's recruiters working around the clock to find. Anybody with a science background that is good at communicating and can help get the information across because the data come up so rapidly and everything changes so quickly, the whole landscape changes, that uh, publication needs to be happening constantly. And they need writers who can get that information across to doctors, to patients, to uh, policymakers.
0: Okay. So... Are you hired by pharmaceutical companies, peer-reviewed journals? Uh,
1: Not journals, but uh, some pharma companies have their in-house writers, and then there are medical publishing companies around the world, and that's their specialty. They will get a manuscript from ready from start to finish. They will have the doctors as authors, but have medical writers on staff that can help write that material and, and then have the doctors review it and approve it.
0: Okay, so... You come from a solid medical background.
1: In that, in that sense, yeah, without medical school.
0: <laughs> well, yes. Well, uh, you, we always talk about, uh, on this show at least, we talk about people uh, accumulating a mind of knowledge because so many people, when I suggest to people dealing with anxiety, depression, those type of things, it mainly is a result of a mind of uncertainty. And what I tell people is that a mind of uncertainty can lead to anxiety, worry, and fear. And we want to place that with a mind of knowledge. And it sounds like that's what you were presenting to people.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it is knowledge. And then you know what we do with that knowledge varies, right, depending on uh, your own background and perspective. But yeah, we try to get the information out there in as neutral a way as possible.
0: So you went from being an archaeologist, and I have to be nosy and ask you this. Have you ever been on any, any digs?
1: Oh, yes. Lots of digs. I worked in mostly in Europe, and I did my uh, dissertation research on a Polish uh, early medieval site.
0: Oh, okay. Tell us about that. I, thought, I think that's fascinating.
1: <laughs> it was. It was a great site. There's a, a lake in western Poland, and in the middle of the lake is an island. And the only way to get to the island is by ferry boat. And on this island, the very first king of Poland built a tiny stone castle in the 10th century. And th- this was the kernel of the Polish state. So it's very important to the Polish people. And there's archaeology going on for decades, including underwater archaeology in the lake, because things are always being thrown into water, whether for ritual purposes or just garbage. So we had divers working, pulling up swords and helmets and um, treasures.
0: Wow, how exciting was that?
1: It's a beautiful spot. Yes,
0: I'm, I'm familiar with, I can't remember, uh, the King of Poland and, and the flying hussars that really s- saved Europe and uh, stopped the, the Mongol hordes from coming across.
1: Oh, yeah, there's a whole Ottoman. Yeah, the Ottoman invasion.
0: Yes, that's quite a fascinating story. And when you get back into time, and uh, quite often what we talk about is people who time travel. Most people have frequent flyer miles to the past and the future and brief layovers in the present. So what led you away from uh, the archaeology?
1: Well, the options were um, private industry, which are archaeology companies that go in when there's planned development. Or an academic job, and I had done a lot of contract archaeology in the commercial world, and, and it's fun, but you're just traveling around, living in hotels for years, and and academic jobs are, are hard to come by.
0: Yes. So okay, so you're sitting in wondering and finding a focus and going forward with your life. So tell us about the path that you that led you to where you're at now.
1: I think I really was Facebook. I'd been doing medical writing for 20 years and I'm not a big Facebook user, but I had gone on for whatever reason. And I had seen all the wondrous and amazing things that everyone else I knew was doing with their lives. And that gave me such a crisis. And I said, well, I love my life. I enjoy it. But you know, what am I doing that's meaningful? Um, and I just sat with it for, couple of days. I don't think I got off the couch. (laughs) And then it came to me that I I had been a patient of Chinese medicine and had experienced this incredible healing power that comes along with a very reassuring sense that you're going to be okay. And that's the thing that allopathic medicine does not come with. Like you might be okay and you're going to get, you know, state-of-the-art treatment. But when you walk into that office, You're not going to feel like, oh, everything's fine. You're going to be told exactly what's going wrong. And it terrifies people. Uh, So I said, oh, I could do this work and give other people that feeling. And that would be meaningful.
0: I always thought that it would make a different scenario and set a different phase for people if a doctor would come into the office and rather ask them what was wrong, what was right about them which is why we started off with that this evening. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about your, I'm, I was really happy that we always talk about people making choices in their lives and maybe these epiphany type of moments. So what was your epiphany type of moment, Thalia?
1: Yeah, that was it. That was it. Seeing, I mean, I know Facebook is an illusion, but, um, but it made me question what I, could say about my work. And again, I love my work. It was endlessly entertaining and provided me a life of absolute freedom. But in addition to that, what did it do? So um, I felt like, wow, I'm getting to middle age and I need to have something to show for my life. So Chinese medicine came to mind. And like I said, I go with impulse and intuition. And I said, that's it. And there were no Chinese medicine schools anywhere near Pittsburgh. So I packed up my family and I moved them to Toronto for three years. <laughs> yes. I completed my training.
0: So tell us about uh, your experience in Toronto. I, I saw that you're a, uh, a diplomat of, uh, I believe it's the Eight Branches Academy. Mm-hmm. So could you yeah. tell us about that for people who uh, may say, hey, I'd like to explore this type of thing
1: yeah so, um so Toronto has a really large Chinese population. So it has a number of schools that will train people in Chinese medicine so they can administer acupuncture, herbal prescriptions, um body work, energy medicine. And uh, that's what we did there's There's people flocking to Toronto to to study this and There's actually so many acupuncturists in Toronto that it was a serious concern for graduates, whether there would be enough patients to support everybody.
0: Okay.
1: We don't have that problem in Pittsburgh. We have not enough acupuncturists and for the people that want treatment.
0: How would you explain acupuncture for someone who had a curious mind and perhaps was interested in obtaining services?
1: Okay. So it is an ancient medicine. Probably at least three thousand years old, and it it was an empirical medicine that arose from observation about where things are getting stuck in the body that creates pain and other symptoms. So, you know, cells in the body communicate using electromagnetic signaling, and where that signal can't get through, people are gonna experience pain, congestion, swelling, uh, just dysfunction. So acupuncture using metal needles they operate like little antenna and they can boost that signal and get it it moving through the channels to the target that it needs to get to and people usually feel better within, you know, minutes. And yep. you might need several treatments to help shift a dysfunctional pattern, but uh, it's highly effective.
0: Well, I never recommend anything to anybody that I haven't tried myself. I can't recommend skydiving to anybody as I've never skydived. And however, I have, have had acupuncture treatment. And one of the things is that people, when when they automatically, when they think of needles, what does a person think of, Thelia?
1: Yeah, a lot of people come in that are terrified of needles.
0: Ah, uh, we'll continue this fascinating, entertaining conversation with our good friend, Thelia on our next episode of Fishing Without Bait. And in the meantime, we offer you a free prescription. Fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Invite joy into your life and make beautiful choices. Till all are free, none are free